I would like to start by saying that parenting is really hard. <laughs> is anyone with me? Oh, thank you. Is it also really hard to be in a church with lots of small children? <laughs> is anyone with me? Um, however, all of this is made okay by the fact that there's a very small dog somehow at the back of this room. I just came in and I saw, is it a puppy or just a small dog? She's just really small. And so thank you. Thank you for bringing the small dog because everything feels better now. I was like stress levels way up here a minute ago, outside giving my daughter a telling off in the middle of the rain to try and shock her into better behavior because the rain was falling on her face. You will not hit Rosa. And then I came in and I saw a small dog and everything was fine. Um, <laughs> so... We are beginning our, thank you, Jamie. We are um, beginning our kind of three weeks on um, Pentecost. We're taking these kind of stories through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is this, this, these stories about what happened after Jesus lived and after he taught his disciples about this coming kingdom and after he was crucified and after he came back to life and then miraculously disappeared in a cloud. What happened next? What happened to his disciples? And how did this small group of people turn into this, um, this global family uh, through time and space called the church who still believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ um, in some way? How does this happen? Um, and so the story of Pentecost that we're going to look at today is the story of where God's spirit, God's Holy Spirit is kind of poured out on um, his people on the church. The story, which is the bit of liturgy that we read earlier, feels to me um, really important, uh, maybe not just for this talk, but for this series, or maybe it's just that it always feels really important to me. Because um, these are the words that we say, we say them every week, we read and we say something about this story, this, this good news about who Jesus is. And then we say, this story is not just a story. This story is alive. These words aren't just written on a page. This story is carried in us. It's carried in our relationships with one another. It's living with, within us as individuals and within us as a community. And not just that, it's changing us. This story is alive. And so as I go through and talk about this bit of Acts, Acts chapter 2, which is what happens on this day called the Day of Pentecost, this very famous day um, in the history of the church, I just want to ask you to hear yourself saying those words in the liturgy, living story carried in me, living story changing me, living story alive in me. And just to hold in your mind the possibility of this day having some resonance and meaning for us and maybe for you today as well. The other living story that has been with me for the last year is Hamilton. Has anybody seen Hamilton? Has anyone got the money? Yeah, a couple of people. Who's wearing the Hamilton t-shirt or got the jumper, Ellis? How many times have you seen Hamilton, Ellis? Four. Are you booked in to see it anymore? Is that why you had to go and join the community of um, Lambeth Palace? Because you had an addiction to going to see Hamilton? <laughs> if you haven't listened to the, um, the album, it is amazing. It, and if, you know, it does cost a lot of money to go and see this show in the West End. If you haven't heard about it, um, go, and, go and Google it. Because it is an amazing show about the first Treasury Secretary in, of the United States, Alexander Hamilton. And it's an amazing story. 
but there is this scene in this uh, musical where there is a wedding and um, it opens with uh, this guy saying a toast to the groom, to the bride. Um, and you, you realise you're at this scene where a wedding is unfolding. But over the course of that song, you hear the inner monologue of one of the characters and she starts to rewind from this scene, to draw back out from this wedding where everybody is gathered, where they're raising a glass to the bride and the groom. And she starts to rewind and draw back to another time and another place, way before this thing happened, and starts to tell you the backstory, the love story, her version of what led everybody to this wedding. And in the same way, I sort of want to start in the place that we're probably, some of us in the room are quite familiar with, which is this story about the day of Pentecost when all the, all the disciples are waiting. Jesus has, Jesus has disappeared and then just said, just wait and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, but you just need to wait in Jerusalem and you're going to be clothed with power. And then we hear this story, this incredible story, which begins, um, you'll, you'll you're probably familiar with these words, some of you. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, some of you may be able to fill in the blanks of what happened in that suddenly. I'm going to come back to it. But instead of just telling you the story, I want to draw back a little bit. Um, I want to do the rewind <laughs> in the same way that in, in Hamilton, this will only make sense if you've seen it. You rewind from this wedding and you see the backstory, the love story. I want to rewind from the day of Pentecost and tell you the love story that sits underneath the story of the day of Pentecost. I want us to rewind to three moments in the backstory before we get to the day of Pentecost that tell us something about what is going on when that thing happens, when the Holy Spirit comes and fills this group of people. And the first is the Garden of Eden. And um, this is a mysterious book, Genesis, and the story of how God created the world um, is is it's an interesting story and there's loads of stuff in there but there's some really beautiful beautiful hints in this story this creation story of how we came to be whether you take that as literal or whether you take that as a myth whatever you however you read this story there are some incredible things that the writer is or writers are trying to tell us about how God feels about people and one of them um, is that God made men, women, all of us, in their image, in the image of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and made us to enjoy and work in and make fruitful this incredible creation. And before it all went wrong <laughs> in Eden, the dream of Eden was that we would walk with God. It says that um, men and women, uh, Adam and Eve, had no clothes. They were naked but they felt no shame. And it also says later when um, God is looking for Adam and Eve, that he's walking in the cool of the day and looking for them. And although it's only very small lines in this story, to me it speaks of a God who wants to, there to be no barriers in relating to us, no shame, no pretense, and wants to walk, after, after the work is done, after a full and productive day's work, in the cool of the day, wants to walk and talk and be friends with the people he's created. It does all go wrong from that point. The dream of Eden is kind of broken, and everybody leaves, and 
We understand that to be the fall of man, where this kind of... uh, the way in which the, our world is broken and sick and the things that we cannot fix, that that is the source of, of this brokenness, the, the broken dream of Eden. But God chooses this people, Israel, um, and says, you're going to be my people and I am gonna, basically I'm going to win you back. I am going to win you back. And we see then more glimpses of what, how he feels about us and what he wants from us and with us. And these prophets pop up. Um, and the prophets are generally these, these fairly crazy guys who, who say and give us a hint about how God really feels about his people. So after Eden is lost, we have a system of law where if you can just keep the law, you will be right with God. That's where righteousness comes from, an ability to keep the law. But inevitably, everyone's terrible at it. And the law is broken all the time. And there's a sense of like, how is this thing ever going to be fixed with God? And these prophets, I'm just going to pull out three things that I think give us a hint of how God feels. In the book of Isaiah, that was written 800 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah writes, um, a sign is going to be given to you. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. It's a prophecy about the birth of Jesus and that Jesus coming into the world was going to be a sign that God was going to be with us again. In the same way that God was with Adam and Eve in the garden, the dream of this creation was that God would walk with his people in the cool of the day. There's another prophet called Hosea, um, who was married to a woman called Goma. And Goma was seriously unfaithful over and over and over again. And Hosea responded to her unfaithfulness by saying to the people of Israel, this is what we are like to God. Every time we turn to other gods, every time we worship other gods, every time we turn away from this great law that we've been given, we're doing what Goma has done to me. But I'm not going to leave Goma because God does not leave us. And God is faithful to us and God is not going to give up on us. And God feels towards us like I feel towards her. And then later again, the prophet Jeremiah um, writes about this future covenant, this future agreement that's going to come and says, in the future, this is the covenant I'm going to make with the the house of Israel. I'm going to put my law in their minds. I'm going to put it in their hearts. I'm going to write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer will each man teach his neighbor or his brother, like I'm doing now, ignore that, saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me. It won't be reliant on someone standing up and saying, I can tell you about God. Everybody will know God from the least to the greatest, which is also amazing. Nobody is more important than anybody else. Nobody gets more access to God than anybody else. God has no favorites. Um, Declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sins no more. And all of those prophets are basically saying, God wants to come back. He wants to be with us again. He wants to be inside us somehow, write his law in our hearts, in our, in our minds. And then we fast forward again to about a month before this day of Pentecost. And Jesus is sitting with his disciples at the Passover feast. It's the night he's going to be arrested. He's just about to be crucified. And he's sitting and having this meal with his disciples. And he tells them what is going to happen. And he says to them, um, oh, I tells them so much. But one of the things that it's, it's written, written in the book of John that he says is, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father 
And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world does not know, cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be or is in, depending on your translation, in you. He goes on to say things like, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. When I go away, I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I will come to you. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And although the kind of more obvious point to make in looking at the day of Pentecost and what Jesus is saying to his disciples is that he knows that um, something extraordinary is going to happen, that he talks about, um, wait here and you're going to be clothed with power. And they are, something remarkable happens. But rather than draw out that bit to say that they are going to be clothed with power... I think we, we, we might miss the heart of this story if we focus on that. I don't think that's the heart of what happens at Pentecost. I think we have to rewind and draw out and see the whole story to make sense of this remarkable kind of like scene and turn of events. So as he's sitting with his disciples, I've just highlighted in black, this is the dream of God. This is the desire behind what it was like in Eden. This is God's longing for us. Um, this is Jesus praying. He's praying for um, all of us, for us and anyone who will come to believe in him. I've given them the glory you gave me, he's talking to the Father, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly united. So that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them just as you have loved me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am, that they may see the glory you gave me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is not, Pentecost is not a story about um, a community transformed by miracles, although it is. It's not a story just about um, a power falling on these people and changing them, although it is. It's not just a story that is about the launch of the church, although it is. It's not just about miracles, although it's about all of this. It's, to me, a love story. <laughs> it is a moment where God, Jesus actually says to his disciples, it's, it's actually much better that I go, because if I go, then I can send the Holy Spirit. And at the moment, there's just me. And to be with me, you have to follow me around physically. But if I go... I will send the very Spirit of God to every single person, to every single heart, to anybody who wants to be filled with my Spirit. And all of you can know me and all of you can have me within you. Now, this is a mystery. And as Ruby said to me three weeks ago, are there hundreds of Jesuses? And I sort of, I don't, honestly, I don't know how you would have answered that, but I sort of went, no. And also, yes, like there's one Spirit the spirit of Jesus, but he lives within everyone who welcomes him. Um, and he, he went so that the spirit could come. And it is, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. There is like one of my favorite phrases in the whole of the Bible is in 1 Corinthians. And it says, the last Adam, which is another word for Jesus, uh, became a life-giving spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Christ comes to bring life comes to live within us and bring life so 
although, sorry, that's a little, quite a lot of like backstory to come to this point of telling the story of Pentecost, I feel like it's really important because this is a crazy story. <laughs> um, and I think we need to make sense of it within knowing how much God longs to be with us. So let's read it. Could, could I, do you mind if I pass this around so it's not just my voice? And could you like read a paragraph and then just pass it on until we get to it? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each heard, each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they, had, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Excuse my cold. Um, What I haven't done at this point is draw out all the things that happened in this story or all the things that happened because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I haven't really even thought about it. But I thought I would ask you what you notice or what you already know. And just to throw out or just say out loud, um, what are some of the things that change because of this filling of the Holy Spirit, whatever that means? What happens here? What happens as a result of this? Um, And I I don't really have an agenda here, so don't worry about second-guessing me. Just anything you notice from the most obvious thing to something very subtle. They go out from the room. So something is... Yeah, so they're no longer waiting in the room. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They're doing other things now. Yeah, so, yeah. So, the, um, so they speak in languages that they don't know, but other people can hear. And as a result of that, loads of people who otherwise wouldn't know this story about Jesus get to hear it and sort of join in with them. So this thing becomes accessible to all these people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe they're a bit confused before, and there's a boldness there, and or authority there. The the bit I particularly like um, is. You know when Peter's like, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. I can sort of hear his voice. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is the guy who a couple of, well, how much longer? A month and a half previously was in that courtyard denying Jesus three times because he was terrified to say that he was associated with Jesus. And this is that man. Something has happened to him. Anything else you notice? I mean, those are great observations. Yeah. Yeah, and lots of so from this, that what happens next in this story is uh, this kind of the very next bit is they then began to gather regularly. They devoted themselves to prayer. They began to share their possessions with one another. Um, they began to eat together. As this community formed around Jesus. Loads of people came to believe in Jesus that he was that he had come back to life, and 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 this this sort of church was birthed. The reason I sort of didn't particularly have a bullet point, if these are the things that the Holy Spirit does, or these are the things that happened on the day of Pentecost, was because my sort of conviction today is that the Holy Spirit wants to bring life. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And so what happened on that day was God breathing life into that group. What happens today as God breathes life to you is completely unique to you. A systematic theologian would would give you a list like this. Oh, yeah, we've done that. The Spirit of Jesus filled this group. What happened? These are the things that happened. 
some of the things. These are th some of the things that Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit does. But we can see the Holy Spirit in quite a functional way if we just have those sorts of lists. The Holy Spirit empowers, convicts, brings truth, reconciles people, comforts, renews, empowers. All of those things are an expression of God's love and God's desire to be with you, and God's desire to be in you, and God's desire to be intimate and close with you. And it is an amazing list. <laughs> I mean, that's just some of them. I've actually printed out, someone really did, um, a five on the Enneagram. Someone did go through the scriptures and be like, here are the 50 functions of the Holy Spirit. And they are on a list and I've printed it out because if you don't know them, I would love you to take it away and look at it because it's amazing. It is amazing. But what the Holy Spirit does is what brings life and what brings love. So what the Holy Spirit did in my life last week when I was um, being prayed for by somebody in a meeting was made me laugh. I was being prayed for and then suddenly I started laughing. And that did happen to me once when I was quite a bit younger. It hasn't happened to me for a very long time, but it just gave me an overwhelming sense of joy. And it was a, it was a sense of joy, which was like, God, you're so, you're ridiculous. That was my thought. You're so ridiculous. Um, I love you and you love me so much. Um, and I just started laughing. And that's what God did to bring life and to bring love to me last week. But to you, it could be that God wants to bring courage to you, to strengthen you, to stand up to something. That God wants to um, reconcile you to somebody. That God wants to help you see more clearly something that feels confusing and fuzzy to you. You could write your own list. <laughs> of what the Holy Spirit does in your life and wants to do in your life. Because it's a love story. The idea that the Holy Spirit comes to fill us and to live in us over and over again is part of this greatest love story the world has ever known. Yesterday, I went to a show at the Luton Central Library called the Rainbow Fairy Academy. And it was awful. <laughs> it was... <laughs> the people, the fairies, were, they did a great job. And I must say, I, like, I really felt for them because the adults were just absolutely stony-faced, as you can imagine. They would not clap along. They wouldn't go, bubble magic, at the right time. They just wouldn't join in at all. Um, and so I was doing my best to kind of like join in and dance and all that stuff. But the thing that I just despaired of was literally just, they, I was complaining about this to you, wasn't I, last night, Green? They were just stringing together all this just like meaningless nonsense about like magic rainbows. If you wish upon a magic rainbow, a shooting star will fall into your heart and all your wishes will come true. And on the one hand, I could see Ruby just like, just wanting to add in the blanks and unicorns and, and kittens and kind of like, you know, this is, it's something very appealing. But as I was sitting there and watching them, I just thought, this is a, the stuff we sell to children, the stuff we sell to kids about wishes coming true, the adults then sit stony-faced because they know it's a bunch of rubbish. And yet I know the creator of the world is real and can fill everybody's hearts with a love that can transform the world. I want, to be honest, I wanted to just stand up and be like, there is no such thing as unicorn rainbow fairy magic, but Jesus is alive. 
<laughs> we can all be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and we can still do the dance at the end to Ed Sheeran. We can still do that, um, which we did do. I didn't, I didn't do that, but I did think, oh my goodness, what this, this, this story we have is alive. It is a living story. It is alive in us. So where does this sort of land for us? <laughs> Let's not get drunk. Um, there is a scripture that Paul, where Paul writes, he's kind of writing to the church, um, don't get drunk on wine, you know, which just sort of leads to debauchery. And you end up in the, the gutter and then someone has to come and pick you up and take you home and, um, you know, clean all the sick off all your belongings, which that happened to me once, and then lie them out ne- neatly on, a, on the kitchen table, um, all cleaned off the next morning. Don't do that. Like, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is there to, in, to fill you with the life of God you with the love of God. And the, fra- the phrase he uses, um, the tense of that is present. So it's not like um, be filled with the Spirit once. Um, although if you've, never, if you've never experienced that, or if you've never prayed and asked God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, oh, I'd invite you to do that because it's really good. <laughs> and I would suggest that we all need it. <laughs> I for me, I know I'm not smart enough, good enough, kind enough to cope with this world without some additional help from God. But it's not just something we do once or the first time. That, that is a present tense, like be filled and filled and filled and filled and filled and filled. Ask God to dwell in you and fill you over and over and over and over again. That's a normal part of the Christian life. When we were praying last week and we were in um, Vienna, do you want to share um, We were just praying about, yeah, church and things. And, and John said he could just sort of had this picture in his mind as he was praying of a crushed milk bottle. And I don't know if I can remember exactly much more than that, although we just began to, to talk about it and like, what might that mean in relation to the Holy Spirit? And I found it a really powerful image ever since I heard it because... I know what it feels like um, to feel like you maybe are meant to be bigger inside than you are, but you just have been like like this. You've just been, like the wind has been knocked out of you. You've just been a bit crushed or you've been a bit bent or um, you were a milk bottle and maybe you didn't have loads of milk on you, but now you're empty and then just someone just stood on you <laughs> and you're just out of shape and we can get used to that shape. Um, it can become comfortable, actually, to the point where if somebody tried to <laughs> push that milk b- bottle back into its original shape, it makes a noise. Like it makes, like it feels like it's a risk of breaking. It's kind of uncomfortable. But I, I felt like when John was sharing that, there's an encouragement for us, which is that um, God wants us to take a deep breath, as if in breathing a bit we could open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit a little bit more in our lives um, and to being filled with that life and to being filled with that love um, again and again and again. And that can only really be done by God. We can't really make that happen, which is a relief because there's nothing we can really do to conjure anything up. We can't change ourselves. Um, We can't overcome our own weaknesses um, just by force of our will. We need, we need somebody to help us. We need, we need God's love to do that for us. Um, and so I think the place I just want to leave that is 
to say that um, this story is our story and it is alive. Although this is a thing that happened once, this filling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it expresses to me and think to us that God wants to be so close to us that he's within us. He's actually within us. And that this life of Jesus, this extraordinary man, he became a life-giving spirit who lives with us and lives within us. And that does not mean perfection in any way, shape or form. Life continues being life um, with all of its strains and pressures. But it does mean that um, a life-giving spirit is within us and that can transform our experience of life. And then we're going to talk about that next week when we start thinking about experience and then the week after that, prayer and how we respond to this. For now, I might, um, if we can put some music on, that would be that would be good in a second. And I might just ask you to just give yourself like 30 seconds and um, my hunch would be, and I sort of will submit this to you in, I, I hope, a little bit of humility, but my hunch would be that this is for all of us, that if you've never experienced the Holy Spirit, it might be particularly for you to say that's something I would like, but even if you have and you feel very familiar with this, like for today, or for those parts of your life where you just feel like that milk bottle, you've just felt a bit crushed, and you just feel like you need to expand and need to be filled again, um, would just encourage you to ask God, what do you, where do you want to bring life to me? Where do you want to dwell with me? Um, and then to turn that into a prayer.